And so this morning, really thankful to be here, to be at our church, and to be especially in exchange. Um, In the midst of all my thankfulness, though, I started to realize there are some things that I'm not as thankful for as much as I should be. Kind of started to realize as I was kind of just, you know, having this little thankful party in my head, and I was was praying to the Lord and thanking Him for some things, I realized there were some way better things that I should be a little more thankful for. I don't know about you guys. I'm curious what it is that you might be thankful for this morning. If we could somehow get it out of you, you might say, I don't know, I'm thankful that my phone was charged this morning or something. Thankful that we had donuts here. That was maybe a help to some of you. Um, Pretty sure all of you would would be thankful to be on summer break from school. And listen, those are all good things, but are there some things that you're neglecting to be thankful for? I'm pretty convinced that one thing we neglect too often is our appreciation and our thankfulness for forgiveness, for forgiveness. And there are So many amazing things that God offers to us in and through the gospel. So many things that he does in our life, and we can name a bunch of them. But forgiveness is the one I want to talk about this morning. Forgiveness is pretty incredible. Are you as thankful for God's forgiveness as you should be? Do you understand it? Do you realize how incredible forgiveness actually is? Does it bring you joy? Does it make you happy? Those are all good questions to ask yourself as we start to think about that issue of forgiveness. And this morning, to help us, I want to take us into the private journal of a much older believer, Uh, the diary, if you will, of a much older saint to help us learn about forgiveness. And in this diary, we can learn so much about forgiveness here and what it is. And my hope and prayer is that it will really help us appreciate forgiveness way more than we do. So grab that Bible that you brought or the one that you have now and open to Psalm 32. Psalm 32, kind of right in the middle of your Bible if you need help finding it. If you need help with the numbers, well, Maybe you should stick to school or something. Anyway, Psalm chapter 32, these are the personal words of King David. And King David's life story, or like a biography, you could read all about his life in the books of 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. And his life is an amazing story. And for a a huge part of 1 and 2 Samuel... The thing about David is that he is this amazing guy. Um, As you're reading through the Old Testament and you're you're understanding what's going on and how sin has corrupted and messed everything up, and God has promised that there will be this one to come and fix it, there will be this one who will be a king and he'll rule and reign with righteousness. By the time you get to 1 Samuel and you're reading about David's life, if you don't know the rest of the story, you're kind of thinking, wow, it's, it could be David. It looks like David is 
the one that God had promised. And he is godly and righteous and good. And he's this agent of God's kindness. But that hope that we have that David might be this one to usher in God's kingdom, it doesn't doesn't last. As good as David appeared, everything changed. And what happened, you asked? Well, David sinned. And David did what many of us are inclined to do. Once he sinned, he hid it. And he covered it up. He tried to pretend like it didn't really happen or to kind of just make it go away on his own. And he used the power that he had in his position as king to just try to make this thing seem like it never happened. And when he did that, he only made things worse. As he hid and covered his sin, he only complicated things and made his situation much, much worse. And as we read his story, we understand that for almost a year of his life, he lived with that sin. He tried to hide it from everyone around him. He tried to convince himself that this sin was no big deal, but he couldn't make it go away. God actually had to step in. Let me just kind of read for you what happened. Second Samuel chapter 11. Listen to the story. It says this, but the thing that David had done, that's talking about all of his sin and all the covering of his sin and making it worse. God's word says the thing that David had done displeased the Lord and the Lord sent Nathan to David. And he came to him and said to him, there were two men in a certain city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children, and it used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him, but he took the poor man's lamb prepared it for the man who had come to him. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing, because he had no pity. And Nathan said to David, you are that man. And after this moment, David realizes his sin and he repents of his sin before the Lord. And that realization of what he had done and his sin led David to write out this amazing song of repentance. And he, again, Psalms is like his journal. So many of David's entries here, these songs, you just get to sort of behind the scenes, you get to hear what David's thinking and how he's feeling. And after this moment, we know from Psalm 51 that David jot down these words. And it was an amazing song of of repentance. And that Psalm 51 gives insight about his sin and the freedom that comes from confessing sin. It's a beautiful song, And in that psalm, Psalm 51, David writes this one little part there. It's Psalm 51, verse 13. He he writes, I want to teach transgressors your ways. I want to help sinners understand how to return to you. And I really believe Psalm 32 is 
that. That's David's instruction to those who are in sin. This is a song or a psalm that helps people who are living in sin understand what forgiveness is all about and how to return to the Lord. So we're going to look at that this morning, Psalm 32. It's a beautiful song, and it's here to instruct us in amazing joy that comes with forgiveness, the the happiness that comes with knowing you are forgiven. That's our big idea. It's short and sweet. I just want you to be thankful for forgiveness. Be thankful for forgiveness. Let's read this psalm together. It says, a psalm of David, a mascal. And a mascal is a weird word. I just kind of want you to know that's a term that means a song of instruction. Okay, a song of instruction. David writes, How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality, my life was drained away as with the, f- the fever heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I'll confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who's godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters, they will not reach him. You're my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with the songs of deliverance. And now here in verse 8, we switch to God's voice. I'll instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. I'll counsel you with my eye upon you. Do not be as the horse or as the mule which have no understanding, whose trappings include bit and bridle to hold them in check. Otherwise, they will not come near to you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones, and shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. Again, I just want to try to help us grasp what David is saying about forgiveness here, and I think we'll do that best by just answering some questions about forgiveness, okay? So we'll call verses one and two a question, why is forgiveness good? Why is forgiveness good? Verses one and two, David begins with that word blessed. How blessed, how happy is this person? How happy is this one who is forgiven? And it's a double blessing. He says it again in verse two, interesting phrase, how blessed, how happy. That actually hasn't been used in the book of Psalm since its opening. How different from Psalm 1 there. How blessed is the man, the psalmist writes, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. There in Psalm 1, we have this description of this one who is happy, this this blessed one who never sins, who never enjoys the company of sinners, Nothing evil, nothing sinful. Now, in Psalm 32, we have a blessing for someone who is not that way. 
happiness available for the one who is far from perfection. A human who does sin, but who is forgiven. Look at these words that David uses in these opening verses. How well I think he covers the topic of of sin. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered, against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. Transgression and sin and iniquity. What, What are these words about? What do these mean? Well, transgression is a word for rebellion. If you write in your Bible, I would write that there. Just next to transgression, I would write the word rebellion. That's what this is. Transgression is rebellion against God. It's living in a way that is against the way that God has designed for you and instructs you to live. We're rebellious to our creator's intentions. We're traitors. We're, we're criminals. We live in open rebellion, just doing the opposite that God desires. What about that word sin? How is that different? Well, sin is really a word for failure. You could jot that in your Bible next to that word sin. It's, it's just missing the mark. It's, I don't know, it's a, a dart that doesn't even hit the dartboard, if that makes sense to you. It's, it's a basketball, it's a, you know, it's a shot that doesn't even hit the backboard. Embarrassing, but also it's failure, right? It's a total air ball. That's what this is. It's absolute failure. Then David uses this word iniquity. Iniquity is a word that makes us think of twisted or crooked. Something about that in our soul that's distorted. Uh, I remember as a carpenter, some of you seventh graders don't know this about me, before I was a youth pastor, I I was in construction for about 10 years building houses, and a lot of our uh, houses that we would build, we would actually have to go to a lumber yard and and pick out the right lumber to build those walls and build those roofs, and a lot of our time we would spend in the stack picking up boards and making sure they weren't twisted and crooked, but that they were straight, that they were how they were supposed to be so that we could use them in the right way. And I think that word twisted helps us here. Iniquity is, it's a twisting of the soul. It's, it's not going to do what it's supposed to do. It's not going to work. It's not going to be helpful. That crooked way we live compared to the truth that we know, we're just, we're just all twisted up on the inside. That's what this word iniquity is all about. And is that not David's sin? That he went through in Second Samuel chapter eleven, is that not the 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 vastness of it? He rebelled against God's way. He rejected what what he knew was right. He fell way short of God's standard. He failed miserably, and the result was he just had this crooked and twisted soul that led him deeper and deeper and deeper into sin, all the way to murder guarantee you that that was not where he intended that to go. That wasn't his plan from the beginning. This is what sin does. This is the danger of sin. This is the condition that unconfessed sin leaves us in. That's what David's writing about, this, this rebelliousness. We continue to fail. We continue to miss the mark. We Plunge deeper into that crooked path of sin. That's why we need forgiveness so badly. And that's why forgiveness is 
such a joy. That's why there's happiness with the one who's forgiven. It's so good. Our, our, our spirits are full of deceit. You see that at the end of verse 2. We're blind to the reality of who we are. We're rebellious. We're failures. We're, we're crooked. Unconfessed sin, it forces people to pretend to be something that they aren't. And you don't need a list of examples to understand that. Just imagine what it was like for King David, for him to still go on as king every day, knowing what he had done. He knew in his soul what he had done. He knew that he was rebellious. He knew that he was a failure. He knew he was crooked in his soul, but he just kept pretending to act kingly and justly and godly when his soul was so far from that. And understanding those words helps us grasp how incredible forgiveness actually is because the best thing about David and what he's saying here is that all this transgression, this sin, this iniquity, it can all be forgiven. These three words for sin are lined up with three words for being pardoned, for being forgiven, for having this removed. just want to show you this real quick. Forgiven is the first word in verse 1, and I just want you to understand what it's about. It means to lift off or carry away. Isn't that helpful to understand when we think about our rebelliousness, that it gets to be lifted off of us and carried away, the weight of that rebellion that we feel inside? God wants to carry it away. And having our sins covered, it's the second word, covered, it's all about concealing from sight, like it's gone, like it's done, like it never existed can't see it anymore, no longer visible. What, what does that mean? How does that help us understand? Well, God isn't saving that sin for later. He isn't keeping a, a list of it. He's not going to remind us later in all the ways which we fall short. He covers it and he puts it out of sight forever. And that third word here of not Counting our iniquities. It's a nerdy word. It is in verse 2. It's math and it's bookkeeping and accounting. I just want to help us. It's, it's just this. It's God not charging our account what he should. You may understand it like a gift card. You know, you, you have a gift card. Somebody's kind and blesses you with a gift card. And when you use it, whatever money was on there starts to be taken off, right? There's, there's a debt. You have to pay for the thing that you're buying. David is saying not counted. The idea here is that your gift card is still full. Or if you have a checking account, which I would be surprised if any of you did, that the, the money that should go out, it, it's still there. That's what he's talking about, our twistedness. It's, it's not counted against us. It's not put on our bill, what we should owe, what we should have to pay. And how can that be? Because our debt is put on Christ. Gospel helps us understand that what we owe, what we should have paid, that Jesus paid. 
He paid for it. That's what the gospel tells us. That's why the good news is so very good. The guilt of our sin is forgiven because of Christ. That's the way God's accounting works through the gospel. Our sin placed on Jesus. It's on his bill. He pays for it. Jesus paid the debt for you on the cross. He paid for the guilt of everyone who will turn to him. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. Understanding that Jesus, who knew no sin, who was sinless, God put our sin on him. But the rest of that verse says, So that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Did you catch that? Not only does Christ take our sin, but we get something in its place. Not only do we not have to pay this debt, but we get this credit, and it's an amazing one. The righteousness of Christ. One time I got a reimbursement check. I think it was like from the water company or something, and it was supposed to be a bill, and instead I opened it, and it was like a check for like, I don't know, $18 or something, but we were like, woohoo, and we ordered pizza or whatever, and it was awesome. I was expecting a bill, and I got money instead. Listen, this is so much better than a check for $18. You understand that? This is the righteousness of Christ. We get credited where we should have this massive bill of sin, this debt that we can't pay. Instead, we get the sinlessness and righteousness of Christ put on our account. It's an amazing thing that happens here. Now you know why David is saying, how blessed, how happy is this one who is forgiven? Is this one who can say, I have been forgiven? It's so good. This is why forgiveness is so very good. Question number two. Second question about forgiveness I want to answer is this. How does forgiveness work? Verses three to seven. David was stubborn. He he, he was reflecting back on his life. He saw it. he, He knew it. He refused to make it right. How long would he have gone in his sin if the Lord had not confronted him? Probably a lot longer. He wouldn't confess. He he was trying to keep it hidden. But even before God sent Nathan, God was working on him. Look at verse 3. When I was keeping silent about my sin, here's what was happening. My body was wasting away through my groaning all day long. Day and night, your hand, it was heavy upon me. His guilt and and shame of what he had done, his life, his vitality, he says, was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. David has given us such insight into how God deals with our sin, how he's prompting us to seek forgiveness, how he works in us to urge us to seek him. This is what happens when we don't confess sin. This is the torment of living with unconfessed sin. David is telling you, I was miserable. This was awful. I don't know what I was doing. How wretched to live with sin. And there's nothing good here. Can you imagine if if after this summer break, you go back to school or whatever, you see a friend after summer and, and he would describe his summer to you this way? Hey, how was your summer? Oh, it wasn't that good. 
And, and he said, like, that my body wasted away. You'd be like, well, what's that? <laughs> and, he, and he said, you know, I, I was just groaned all day, every day. God was convicting me all the time, especially at night. I couldn't sleep. Felt like my, my, my drain, my life was being drained away. My life dried up. It was like getting heat stroke every day, all day. Just tired. I don't even know what you can say to that. Oh, okay, okay cool. <laughs> See ya. Here's the point. David can just still remember what it felt like. He can look back later as he's jotting this down in his journal here, as he's, as he's writing it out. He, he still remembers precisely what it felt like. Like the last time you were sick and you were so exhausted and you felt so gross and yucky and you just moaned and you just kind of flopped around the house for days. David said, I was like that for a year. Under the heavy hand of God, no joy, couldn't sleep. But notice verse 5, until finally he confessed, I acknowledged my sin to you, this iniquity. I, I didn't hide it. I said, I'll confess my transgressions. There's those three words again. It's all being taken to the Lord. And look at what he writes at the end. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. It's so simple. I just take it to the Lord. I brought it to you, God, and you forgave me. David goes back through those description of his sin again. Just this time, he's not hiding it. He, he confesses. This is asking for forgiveness. He admits how far away he is from the target. He confesses how twisted he had become. He tells the Lord about all of his rebellion, and he asks for forgiveness. And the beauty and joy at the end of verse 5 deserves a moment of thought. That's what that word selah is all about. It's meant to make the reader pause and think, stop for a second, slow down. We could do the same thing. We, could, we should think about it the same way. God, you, you've forgiven me of so much sin. You continue to be faithful to forgive uh, the guilt of my sin. It's gone. It's lifted so simple. Just like 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So simple, yet we're, we're so resistant to it. Like David, we'd rather hide it and live with it and, and, and hang on to it. If God's hand is heavy on you, if your conscience is weighed down by sin, I just want you to know that's a good thing. God is urging you and prompting you towards seeking forgiveness. He's making you miserable on purpose. That's a good thing. That You might want to run to him, that you might move towards him. God's trying to help you see how forgiveness works and how much you need it. Again, I just I don't want you to ignore that, that sweet result in the end of verse 5. God forgives the more miserable you are, the, the greater joy that awaits you in forgiveness. So David knows how forgiveness works. He, he knew that the happiness that, that comes from forgiveness because he experienced it. He, he doesn't want you to make the same mistake he did. He, he wants you to learn from him. Stop 
living in it. Stop hesitating. Stop hiding your sin. Look at verse 6. He, he turns to teach God's people why silently suffering in your sin is so dumb and it's so foolish. He says, let everyone who's godly pray to you in a time when you may be found, verse 6. Surely in this flood of great waters, they'll not reach him. You're my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. David's very mindful of believers here, of of the godly here, thinking of saints. Those of you who are saved, David would urge you, don't sit in your sin for too long. It's so dangerous. And it's only making it worse. Don't be tempted like David to stay silent. Life's so full of temptation to sin. And, and David says, look, with God, even the, the, the flood of temptations upon you, even in that moment, you're safe. The waters won't reach you when you run to God. The, the benefits here, floods are overwhelming forces. You guys know how, how water works and how destructively powerful and just awful water can be. Sin is the exact same way. That's why David uses that analogy. In the flood of great waters, in the midst of horrible sin in your life, it's so destructive. It's it's just messing up everything. David says this, turn to the one who has forgiven you and who will forgive you. Go to him. And if you do, you'll have nothing to fear. Look at verse 7. God's your hiding place. God will preserve you from trouble. God will surround you with songs of deliverance. God is the protection. Be drawn to the one who forgives. God, the one who removes guilt and lifts that heavy weight of shame. Guys, this is how forgiveness works. Seek forgiveness from God because of who he is. David's trying to help you go to him sooner and quicker and faster and earlier because there's such freedom and happiness and renewal that's awaiting you in forgiveness. God will forgive you and he'll surround you with peace and protection and help. How foolish we are to think that with more time, this will get better. David is saying it only gets worse. That's how forgiveness works. One last question. What does forgiveness bring? Verses 8 to 11. What does forgiveness bring? Now God speaking again, I'll instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. I'll counsel you with my eye upon you. Don't be as the horse or mule which have no understanding, whose trappings include bit and bridle to hold them in check. Otherwise, they'll not come near you. God says, look, I'll teach you. It's God who will counsel you. God who watches over us. Never alone in our Christian life. God's eye constantly on us. What comfort there is in that. God sees everything. Which may be just a reminder that whatever sin you think you're hiding, you're really not. But also this incredible reminder that we also have a God who sees what's ahead. What's coming. What we can't see. And God's going to guide us the whole time. When we confess our sin to God, this is the result. God will guide us in godly living. He'll lead us where he wants us to go. He'll teach us to obey. He'll help us walk in righteousness. He doesn't want us to be stubborn. He doesn't want us to be like that horse, like that mule that needs that bit and that bridle in its mouth to control it. He wants us to be teachable. God wants us to understand his ways and to walk in them by our own 
will. He wants us to be humble, to be meek, to be willing to follow. And if we'll confess our sin, he he wants to help us do that. And just one last contrast in verse 10 to make another point. If you stay in your sin and you hide it and cover it and ignore it, then expect this life full of sorrow. Many are the sorrows of the wicked. Verse 10 says, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Consequences of sin don't go away. They're still there. David, his life in 2 Samuel after that meeting with Nathan, it is a downward spiral. The consequences of his sin are horrific. But those who trust in the Lord, who confess, verse 10 says, your life will be surrounded by steadfast love, by this kindness that God's forgiveness brings. And it did for David. The unconditional, undeserved, unlimited kindness of God filled his life. And it will do the same for you. Yeah, he still had to face the consequences of his sin, but he could do that and he could still write these truths. He knew he was forgiven. He he knew that, that God had surrounded his life with love. David could write verse 11, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones. Shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. That's where David wants to get us. Instead of just the weight of sin, he wants us to be able to to do verse 11. He wants us to be able to to say, verse 11 is true of my life. I'm able to just have joy and rejoice and shout and praise God because not only am I forgiven, but I see all these benefits that he's doing in my life. He's protecting me and he's teaching me and he's leading me and he's helping me. And yes, there's consequences, but he's surrounded my life with love and kindness and it's awesome. Oh, shout for joy, he says. And that's where we want to get. That's where we want to be. This verse is the goal, and understanding forgiveness helps us get there. When we maybe read it first thing this morning, you're probably like, I don't get that. And it's because we're not thinking about forgiveness the right way. We're not understanding how amazing and incredible forgiveness actually is. Forgiveness will bring joy, and it should cause you to be thankful. Let me just give David the last words back to Psalm 51, verse 14. David says, O God of my salvation, my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. David can only do that because of the forgiveness that he knew. It led him to be able to say that. Lord, if you, would open, if you would just open my lips, praise will shoot right out. That's where we want to be too. Let me pray. Father, help us to be more thankful for the forgiveness that you offer. What a gift it is. Lord, thank you for reminding us of the importance of not sitting in our sin. Lord, I pray for those students in here this morning who, God, have never turned to you, who have never come to you seeking forgiveness, seeking salvation from their sin. Lord, I pray that you would help them to do that this morning. I pray by your kindness and mercy and grace, Lord, that you would save 
students who are, are just sitting in their sin. Father, those who have put their faith and their trust in you and in your gospel, I pray that you would help them to also understand when, when sin enters their life, well, they need to be so quick to turn to you and run to you and seek forgiveness or to not let sin lead them on that dangerous path of more sin and worse sin. Lord, help us to examine our hearts to be right with you so that we can say with David, we're glad in you, we rejoice in you, we want to open our mouths and shout praise to you because of what you've done. We pray these things in the name of Christ, our Savior, who makes this possible. Amen.